Hi, this is Rahman Sheikh. Welcome to Fortnightly Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. I am the host and railway systems specialist working in this industry for 24 years and counting. This podcast is primarily focused on railway experts who have vast amount of experience and contributed greatly to this amazing industry. This is not a technical seminar but focuses on feel good stories, individual journeys, their success and failures, motivating younger generation to kick start their career in railways and creating a sense of pride for the railway people who devoted their lives on the most environment friendly public transportation. Our guest for this fortnight is robert burns commissioning director at crosslinks transit solutions toronto canada robbie is leading in commissioning activities of rail systems where cts has been selected by infrastructure ontario and metro links to deliver eglinton crosstown light rail transit project robbie is a graduate of london underground signaling apprenticeship scheme graduating in 1996 he started his professional career in 1992 as a trainee technician with transport for london he worked across the globe and brings 30 plus years of experience to transport industry hi robbie welcome to railway transportation systems podcast thank you for joining and agreeing to spend some time sharing your insights with us thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here Ravi before i start asking you questions can we start with my generic question can you please tell us about your professional transport industry journey so far yes yeah, certainly um so as you stated in your intro um i started as an apprentice with london underground uh, back in 1992 i did a four year apprenticeship and passed out from that became a technical officer on london underground which is essentially a a role where you're doing maintenance and fault finding on the system I went to signal operations manager within london underground decided that i fancied doing something different so I uh, left London Underground and went to work with uh, Westinghouse on the Jubilee line extension as a functional tester. From there I developed uh, the courses and skills to become a tester in charge and a principal's tester before moving to Australia where I was a commissioning manager and then senior commissioning manager for the Asia Pacific region. Um I then moved from uh the east coast of Australia where we were doing uh, essentially resignaling modifications to the west coast working with a company called Caliber Global who helped Rio Tinto with their um, upgrade of their railway system to eventually become the auto hall system so doing the wayside upgrades and then the locomotive upgrades we finished the auto hall project and I moved over to Bechtel in Canada in Toronto where I was the commissioning manager of the Toronto York Spadina subway extension which opened in uh, 2017 and then from there um I had a little bit of a time being what they called a commissioning chief for Bechtel which was essentially dropping into different rail systems that they were commissioning or or building at the time to be able to help them with their system integration and commissioning processes and then I dropped into Toronto again just to become the commissioning director for uh, Crosslinks Transit Solutions delivering the Eglinton Crosstown and that's where I am at the moment you had a great career so far Robby multiple countries looks like a paid holiday so many <laughs> <laughs> so many different systems i think you got an opportunity to look at and uh, 
of course, you might have gained multiple core competencies. So why did you choose your area of expertise as test and commissioning? Well, I wasn't very good at school, if I'm honest. Um, I'm definitely more of a hands-on learner and always have been. And I think my father recognized that. He worked in London Underground, so brought home some apprenticeship papers one day. And uh, so we filled them in and filled them in about three or four times just to try and make sure that we were getting the right messages across, that this was something that I was interested in doing. Nepotism worked well. And so the son of the person who worked in London Underground got the job in London Underground, uh, which, you know, it's just the way it was back then. And from there, it was just, uh, it was really interesting. I always liked the way of uh, getting in and understanding how things worked and the, the intricacies of everything. And the challenge of you know, especially when you were doing fault finding, which was the main parts of being an apprentice, was understanding how it was designed, how it works, and therefore you could go in and understand why it wasn't working and, and make it so that it was fixed again. So just that challenge was always very interesting to me. So, And it developed from there. So going from the fault finding side then into the testing side seemed very natural. Yeah, I think even I enjoy that sometimes breaking the system and uh, <laughs> try to see what happens next. Oh, and it was I'm one of the best happy. points about principles testing, wasn't it? Yeah. And I'm more happy that uh, you belong to a railway family, a family of railway people. It's a great asset that you joined the industry. Moreover, the other unique um, question, because your core competency is testing and commissioning, and did you observe the difference in the test and commissioning in a signaling system with respect to the other rail systems? Why is that signaling testing so unique? You know, we need to attain certain accreditations. We need authorizations, licenses, certificate of competencies, statement of certificates, etc. Why we made yeah. it so hard? Well, I mean, obviously, the, the very easy answer is that you know, the signaling system is the critical system that keeps trains apart. So therefore, uh, making sure that the people are working upon it and are doing a job that is competent to be able to have the public or if it's a private rail sector, the, the system operating so that they maintain a part and they can run safely uh, within each other is really the way that the signaling has developed. And to be fair, you know, it's uh, years and years and of tragedies on the rail uh, network in Europe especially uh, has taught the lessons of how people have learned to do things you know and, and just even in my lifetime the the very large ones like Clapham Junction gave a, a massive change in the industry of uh, of what we did and how we did it so I think that's the main part when it comes to the competencies and just making sure that the right people are doing the job when it comes to actually how signaling is different to rail systems though I think they're getting very close together these days uh, in the old days, uh, you, you would get your design, you would understand your requirements, and your installation team would go out there and put it all in place, and the testing team would go out there and make sure that everything worked the way it was supposed to do. You'd bring a principal's tester in potentially at the end to make sure all the final functions are all working okay, and then you would sign the system into use, and 10 minutes after you signed that certificate, there's a train rolling over it. In this day and age, especially with the CBTC systems and the requirements of independent safety assessors uh, into the system, it, it's definitely gone a lot more of the system engineering way, which is, you know, you you have all your procedures, you take the test team out there, the test team carries out all the testing procedures, but then provides that information back to the engineers, to the uh, safety assurance team, 
and then to the independent safety assessor who then makes sure that what we're saying is the system, once it's tested, is ready for revenue service is an important step. And the independence, certainly in some countries, between testing and design and engineering isn't as as independent as you would expect, especially through the Senelec sides. So it, it's not a bad step to be in, but you know, for, for old school testers like myself, it uh, removes some of the satisfaction from signing a job into use and then just sitting back and just watching the trains roll through. Yeah, I can understand that. I can even relate that myself as well. Apart from this, if we move out of signaling, mm-hmm. for example, on a metro line, uh, we got lifts and escalators, uh, hydraulics, ga- dangerous gases, fire. What is the difference between the signaling and control systems versus the test and commissioning of other rail systems within the metro? So for those sides, um, you know, again, it comes down to just the, the understanding. So the signaling systems, we, we have a, a very prescribed way of testing. You know, For example, we'll go out with the drawings, we'll make sure we mark up our, our wiring design and before we go through and do the functional tests and then we build it up. When it comes to all the other... I mean, we break it into essentially three different areas here, um, and I cover the commissioning for all the different areas. So we have um, what we call the facility side or the you know, mechanical, electrical, plumbing side. So that generally follows code compliance through most of the items that you're going through and commissioning there. You'll make you know, wherever you are in the world, making sure that you're adhering to those. There'll obviously be some requirements in your contract as well, but you're generally going through. You do a a pico or a post installation check to make sure that all the installation is correct before you then go and power up, do a functional check to make sure that it works okay on its own, and then you revolve it into some sort of integration, whether that's integration with a you know a building automation system or whether a SCADA system of some points. So taking those steps through, it's it's not as safety critical in the way that it gets approached. It's more a paper-based orientation of it did this on this point in time. So therefore, if it fails in the future, it's because of a component failure, not because the system was designed incorrectly. And I think the same applies to some of the other rail systems, such as uh, the communication systems and the TVS systems. They're tested in sort of the same way of its uh, code compliance these days. So, for example, with the metro systems, you have to have tunnel ventilation. Yeah. We test that tunnel ventilation system in, in here in, in, in North America. We're over NFPA 130, which covers all the subway systems that we have to be able to abide by. You then, again, have some requirements inside your contract. And that's the point where, okay, well, the system's working because we've gone through those various steps. And as I said previously, the signaling system is very different because now you have another person on top who's actually looking at it. However, for a very large project such as the one we're working on here, we do have an independent safety assessor and an independent certifier that sits over the top of the entire project. So when I provide all the documentation that the system is complete and we've tested it and all our requirements have been fulfilled, it's their job to ensure that they're satisfied with the evidence that I've provided them. And if they're not, then they can request further evidence to be able to just fill the gap that's come out. Amazing. Amazing insights, Robbie. I really appreciate that. So I'll go into the other area after testing. So you have worked in different countries around the world. How do you believe this has influenced your career and outlook? And the next part after testing is, when it comes to commissioning and operational readiness. So focus on these two items, please. 
Okay, so um, I mean, working in different countries has certainly opened my eyes to different methodologies of being able to achieve what is essentially the same outcome. Not all of those methodologies are good, and sometimes you have to try to bring some of the lessons that you've you've got learned through the system. But the one thing that's very key is that everybody's trying to achieve the same thing, and that is everybody wants a safe and reliable railway that is fit for purpose at the end of the day. And that doesn't change no matter wherever you go. Operational readiness side of it, though, is, again, it's fairly similar. Most railways that I've worked on in the world, they, they generally want to get to a point where they can run the system into some sort of trial running prior to going into service, just to give you the confidence that everything's working okay. As everybody knows, when you bring a new system into use, there's always... Uh, some little bits of failures you're going to have all over the place. Normally, it's component failures. Sometimes you'll just you know, you'll, you'll get some other items, but the idea is to shake all those out before the system goes into operational use. And everybody's keen on that. And but there's very different ways of doing it. The project I'm on at the moment requires us to do a four-week what they call a revenue service demonstration. So that's we'll run through that and make sure the system works properly. And at the other end of it, then we'll enter into revenue service. Um, other systems run for two weeks. Uh, if it's an extension like my previous project, then what they did is they just at a certain point in time, they allowed those trains just to run around the system and get the drivers used to the way they were driving the different signals in the, in the area. Um, but for operational readiness, it doesn't change too much in the methodology. It's just generally how much people want to see. Yeah, I agree. And you raised a very good point, Robbie. You spoke about change. So change and adaptability is very hard in railways. I have seen that. Mm. It takes effort and lots of paperwork. Did you try to bring something good elements in testing from across the world and make them adopt wherever you worked? And how hard was it to implement and convince the industry for a change? Yeah, as you all know as well as I do, changing anything in the railway industry is like turning a tanker. You sort of turn the wheel and then you have to wait for a while until you actually see anything coming from it. But there's a lot of good people out there who are trying to push the right way. Uh, for myself, I certainly try to take the best methodologies and practices that that I've seen either from my own experiences or from being shared, uh, certainly from the IRSE, which I'm a member of, um, through their publications or conferences. And I think you always have to be open to new ways of doing things. Um, it'll always be a little bit of a struggle, and certainly in the signaling world, because people are so afraid of failure, because failure can be catastrophic. So sometimes being over the top is better than not <laughs> being over the top. And you have to convince people that uh, maybe a different way of doing it works. So the biggest lesson I suppose I have for anybody who's worked around the world and wants to bring lessons is never ever start your conversation with in and then your country because yeah. within about a week you'll generally get told by somebody who's a little bit more confident that well you're not in that country anymore and that's not how we do it okay. and it's right you, you shouldn't really be trying to force somebody else's methodologies down down someone else's throat just because they're done somewhere else what you should be doing is explaining a different approach to how it works, um, explaining the benefits of why doing it this slightly different way would be good for the project or for the, the company that you're working for, and then exploring the differences between what they're currently doing against what you're proposing so that people can make an informed choice. It's not just, 
well, if they do it there, it must be good enough for us because sometimes you know what you're trying to bring across won't fit, and you that's why you need to explore it fully. Beautifully, very, very brilliantly explained, Robbie. Informed choice. I like that word. I will write it down. So, and you also touched the other key point about professional bodies. So mm-hmm. what I observed, not everyone, but I have observed in quite a lot of people uh, in professionals from railway industry, they give a blind eye and do not prioritize in involving themselves with professional bodies. That could be IRSC, as you said, or Engineers Australia or Engineering Council UK, etc. So what is your opinion on professional bodies and what do you think that is it critical to be involved or not? Well, as I said earlier in the interview is that I had a different way of learning. Um, I was a very hands-on learner. I'm not a degree qualified engineer by trade. I came up through as an apprenticeship um, and essentially have stepped through all the grades all the way to where I've got. So very experienced, but don't have a degree. The IRSC for me has been a fantastic stepping stone for that. And I've been involved with other bodies, uh, such as the, the, the Institution of Chartered Engineers, um, as well, uh, where I've you know, given some presentations on systems engineering and system integration and why the importance of it. And there are excellent uh, bodies to be able to say, share knowledge, share lessons learned, where things didn't work, go into the root cause analysis so that other people can understand. And as we said earlier on about taking the best practices, understanding whether something that went wrong somewhere else is actually applicable to the system that you're working on at the moment. And they're fantastic for that. And then you've got the secondary side of it, which is also good, which is when you go to the conferences, uh, you get to network with some like-minded people who are all trying to just make the world a little bit of a better place for railway travelers. Brilliant. I think that's a very different uh, way of looking into things from a non-academic background as well. People generally think that who have an academic qualifications are only keen into these professional bodies. Great insights, Rabi. So after such a great career so far, now when you sit down and reflect back, what advice would you give to your younger self at the beginning of your career? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so many, isn't there, really, when you look back. Um, however, you know, while I could give the advice, all the mistakes that I made earlier on in my career obviously helped to mold me into the person I am now. So all the times when I had a manager who gave me a kicking because I'd done something wrong or sat me down and gave me a nice soft word of explaining things different ways have all had fantastic impacts on uh, being the person I am today. However, for the lessons, for the young, be more patient. Try not to jump in on top of everything. Try not to think that you know everything, that you know more than the person you're talking to. You know, Listen to their point of view and think about it and then respond and from a commissioning point of view or especially in signaling worlds coming back to where I was a tester in charge and things be a little bit less passionate you know which could also go into the be less angry when things go wrong (laughs) you don't have to be a fire and brimstone commissioning manager you don't have to bang the table you don't have to um, you know just drive 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 all the time There, there are other ways to manage and I was very lucky in that you know, I was that sort of manager for quite a while, and um, I, I was very lucky when I came over to Bechtel. Um, I had the project director called Keith Sibley, who was the best project director I've ever worked for. He was 
uh, fantastically patient with me, certainly, and with everybody else, though. Hardly ever saw him not calm and confident and in control. And taught me that you know you can you don't have to be directly in charge of people to be able to help them to do the right thing. You can influence people, and sometimes managing through influence can be a lot more rewarding and beneficial than having a direct report and just telling them what to do. And uh, I'll forever be grateful for the assistance that you know he provided me on my career path that way. Beautiful. See how key it is being a good manager having a great leaders above us as mentors we never forget such people it's such Absolutely. a key element so going back to your change so it is related mm. to what we discussed so far now if i give you an opportunity or if railway gives you an opportunity suddenly you've got some power in your hands what is that change you want to bring into the railway industry for me the biggest advantage of a change that the railway industry could pick up is getting more involved in big data bringing the not just the systems the systems have moved along very well and are now sitting at uh, the cutting edge of technology and that's fantastic the processes and the way that we work is sometimes still lagging quite a long way behind having the ability to have databases and applications that will allow you to go in and identify you know, from the design what's required to be tested whether it's been tested what the results of the testing are is in my mind certainly the way forward it removes the need for a person to be able to shuffle paperwork between different organizations and it allows people to be able to see real time progress as well as potentially real-time understanding of issues, uh, rectification of requests for information, updates of design can come through you know, nearly real-time, but obviously there's a design review and approve part of it, but they can come through fairly quickly. And then coupling that into your deficiency management side, so you know whether you're using test logs or whether you call them by a different name, having those appropriately linked to the design, linked to the test procedure that you're with, will provide you with a much better ability to understand what your progress is, how close you are towards the end, what the amount of time frame that you have to be able to put in effort-wise, resource-wise, and give you the confidence at the end as well that you've actually done everything. You're not sitting there having to recheck thousands of pieces of paper especially on a, you know and again a you know, multi-billion dollar project like we're on here the paperwork was just too much to count so big data is the one thing that i would really urge the the signaling world and the commissioning world to start moving towards to be able to make life easier for everybody thank you for that insights it's really really you raise such a key points i think uh, i really wish that uh, this comes true uh, one fine day someone makes decision and we go ahead we'll implement it somewhere yeah hopefully so apart from all your professional life aside what do your close friends define you robbie probably annoying being a commissioning person you don't let go of things very well <laughs> so you, you, you try to make sure that if you don't get the answer that you're looking for or that, that satisfies your logic that you drive through, hopefully the other ones would you know, be reliable. I try to do what I what I say I'll do when I say I'll do it and uh, you know, and honest. You know, if we again back to the things of if we make a mistake, hold our hands up. It's it's easy to fix something if we know what went wrong. So I'd like to think that there are a few things. I'm sure there's a, a few other choice words that close friends would provide, but uh, 
I'll, I'll leave that for them maybe in the comments when you publish. Sure. Apart from when you're not working, so during your weekends, mm -hmm. how do you relax or how do you get out of your professional journey or professional life? So what do you do? So do you play any sports? Um, so I, I used to be a rugby referee. Um, unfortunately, it dropped out with COVID coming in and I haven't rejoined it. So yeah, I'm still very passionate about the game, but just not as involved as I used to be. I'm an average musician, so I play most instruments to a an average standard. Not, a, not an excellent at any of them, but uh, I give them a go. I'm also a closet programmer, so I actually like sitting down and uh, developing. So I've, I've, for the project that we're on, I've developed my own database because there was nothing really out there that was tailored to railway commissioning. So um, I just went and did it myself. So I, I enjoy that. It's uh, Again, it goes back to that fault-finding thing that you and I were talking about is you write a code and it doesn't quite work properly and then you've got to go and try and find out why. And then obviously time with my family as well, just to, you know, my, my, my kids are all grown up and some of them are in the UK and one of them's in Australia. Um, so trying to get some time with them and, and just with, with my other half, Bridget. So just trying to relax, I suppose. I do a bit of everything, but nothing that's amazing, in my opinion. No, you, you do you do quite a lot, especially the music instruments. Oh, it's not easy. And coding is, of course, not easy. So... <laughs> What is that one piece of advice for our listeners, please? One piece of advice for the listeners. I suppose it's uh, try to understand what it is that we're, we're dealing with. We're right at the end of a project. Generally, everybody has missed their dates. You know, design was a little late, construction was a little late, installation's a little late, but yet the final date hasn't changed, and now your test and commissioning team is up against it. So try to have a a little bit of sympathy for their position, try to understand the ways it is that they're trying to to deliver what it is they are for you, but also understand the complexity of what they're trying to deliver. A lot of people still think that commissioning is like turning a light on. You just turn it on, that's it, it works, I can walk away. Um, and it's a lot more than that. It would be nice if you know, I know the signaling world has already mandated commissioning, and obviously that happens just as part of the course now. It would be really good for the rest of all the industries um, to actually give commissioning the credit it deserves to provide reliable systems for every aspect of the industry, whether it's railway, whether it's commercial, um, and it makes it safer for, for public as well. Great piece of advice, Robbie. Really uh, amazing uh, wisdom. So And I even thank you for joining us, taking the time out. And it's a huge time gap. I'm in Australia. You are in Canada. <laughs> yep. so, and thanks for your time and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, Robbie. And thank you for asking me. This has been fantastic. And uh, keep it up. It's a great podcast. Thank you. I believe everyone listening to this podcast has got something to take away from today's discussion. If you like this podcast, please listen, follow and share this podcast within your network. If you believe we should be sharing your story or someone within your network, there is a railway leader who should be here sharing his or her contribution to this industry. Contact me on railwaytransportationsystems at gmail.com. Thank you for your time today. See you next fortnight. Until then, stay safe and take care of yourself.